to the, is recording. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Flip Gorilla podcast on real estate, Southern California real estate. Uh, my name is Joe Melendez, and I want to thank Rocket Mortgage and Maven Loans for all their contributions. And today, I have a very good sport, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron Norris. Howdy. Uh, Aaron, um, I'm just going to go ahead and wrap myself out. Aaron and I did this podcast once before. It was beautiful. I wish all of you could have heard it, but uh, <laughs> it may have been the best, the best was, podcast ever. <laughs> it was the greatest real estate podcast ever. Unfortunately, I didn't hit record. And uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, but you know, Aaron's a good guy and he's very, like I've always said, very nice guy. And he was a good, good uh, sport and decided to redo it again. So with me today is our good friend here, Aaron Norris. And thanks again, uh, Aaron, for the retake. Of course, anytime. <laughs> okay, so uh, Aaron went to school. Um, and at first he was going into more of a liberal arts type um, um, preceding that. And uh, he uh, studied in New York, right? Yeah, were... yeah, I actually started at Cal State Fullerton as a, uh, what was it, an advertising major with a music minor. And then after two years, saw a poster on a wall for an arts academy in New York. And I'm like, you know what, I should, I should pursue the old Broadway. And I, and I did. <laughs> so I moved to New York uh, and finished up school out there. That's nice. That's nice. And then, so then you started moving back into the real estate market. And that was about what time, Aaron? You know, I had a few different stints in, in New York. I worked for a mid-century antique store, and then I fell into Wall Street doing acquisition and merger presentations from five to one in the morning and nerded out, discovered that I love data. Um, and I was just so fascinated by all the research that I was working on every night. And it was a really cool for, it was an amazing, perfect job for what I was doing in New York. It allowed me to audition during the day and get told how ugly and untalented I was on a daily basis <laughs> and, and still pay my cell phone bill. Um, but yeah. That's hard to believe, but yeah. Okay. So uh, it, it's like that. Time, and, it, the and, last time we were on this podcast, you told us about um, a situation where you were in one of your auditions. You, would you mind retelling me? how that happened one of the most embarrassing audition stories yes it was uh i was auditioning for a, F a florida production of damn yankees and every single ball player in the show had to be able to tumble so i'm in a room with 50 other guys and what's funny is i just come off a broadway show and i didn't tell you this in the last show so this adds a little bit of nuance of how obnoxious i was at the moment <laughs> so we did the dance uh, routine and then we there was a cut and all of us in the room there's probably 40 to 50 left they're like, now you have to tumble. So we took our turns. I'm like, oh, hey, hold up a second. I got I to gotta get my special shoes. And I use these wrestling shoes that I tumbled eight times a week in this off-Broadway show. I was, yeah. I tumbled in the show. And I, I made a big deal. I'm like, oh, hang on just a second. I got to put these on. Got to have them. I then proceeded to do a round off back handspring and I land, oh, back tuck. And I landed the back tuck, but not well enough. I stumbled and fell into the, the casting director and the director's lap. Uh, my, my arm landed on probably what was my own headshot and it, that was in the director's lap that slipped. And then I just laid down in the lap of the casting director, but Boom. I, got the, I got the job. There you and go. You got the job. <laughs> and that's how you did it. Uh, so then, uh, so then you came back this way, you got with the family business and you started <clears throat> moving into, um, real estate and you started off more of the lender side, correct? Or fix and flip? 
Yeah, mom uh, got a bone cancer diagnosis in 04. Um, I just decided it was time to move back. I didn't start immediately in in the real estate space. I ended up in the builder space. I was doing marketing for an architectural lighting designer building, uh, bidding on global projects, very high end with really cool lighting. Um, fell in love with the construction side of things and building. And I was about to take a job going back to Wall Street, doing what I was doing in New York as a manager. And dad's like, I need help putting together the California crash. And that's how I ended up there. So at the Norris Group, I really started on the branding and the research side with dad and putting together our materials um, and then got more into the lending side and just sort of grew from there. Yeah. So <clears throat> you were really heavy in the marketing and, um, and working with clients and you were kind of like a uh, personality uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I help launch a radio show. I do all of our events, um, produce all of our events, I've touched all the materials. I, I mean, I think the first two years of the Norris Group, Dad and I created some 1200 pages of content and videos. We got off of cassette tapes and made DVDs. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I've been, I was at some of those events, the um, California, some of those, some of those events were like, there were just so much information, great information, great investors. Um, Tony was on the, uh, on there and uh, there was some just really heavy hitting investors there. Your dad, one of them. And um, I learned so much. I learned so much. And I think it was from those days that I decided I wanted to get into the real estate investing side of it. And mm. uh, so I learned a lot from, from you guys then. And um, so then all of a sudden the crash is here mm -hmm. and we have a market crash in 2006, seven, eight. Yeah. Seven mm -hmm. is really when they started picking up steam. Yeah. 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 It started. To, so then the REOs are coming and you guys are still lending, but you start actually moving more into the fixing. You guys start doing a lot of fix and flips yourselves, correct? Yeah. My brother actually came onto the Norris group before I did in 05 laying the, uh, the foundation. He, his, he's an operation genius. Um, he comes with a construction background. Uh, he's also a journeyman electrician. He's just really good at what he does. So he was brought in um, really taking over the fix and flip side of what dad was doing all those years. Um, but his specialty ended up built, uh, at the trustee sales. So he flipped all the way through the downturn, which was yeah. not easy because you have to put into your bid uh, an expected monthly loss. Right. <laughs> it's like catching a, a falling knife. Yeah. He did the trustee sales all the way till he moved to Florida. And when was that? Was that 2015 where he moved the trustee sale business out to Florida because the numbers made more sense? Um, anyway, yeah. So, yeah, that's what he was doing. So the Norris Group was a fix and flip. We also had the lending side. I was more on the lending side. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's when a lot of that great material came out on the radio and all those other guests that were coming on. So, yeah, you've been, you guys have been a lot in uh, information in the space. And it's, uh, it's kind of why I want to have you guys on. And, um, okay, so... Uh, the crash goes on, REOs are going crazy. Um, uh, then it starts to bottom out, right? It starts to flatten out at the bottom. And before it starts to go up, that's probably a period of about three or four years, I think. Mm -hmm. In that period of time when it was flattened out, what were you guys, were you still just fixing flipping? Is that when you started to buy and hold? No, we were fixing and flipping the entire time through the downturn and past. Um, Greg was always buying at the trustee sale. What I was busy doing is launching our 9% eight-year program. I, I don't know of any other hard money lender in the state of California that did what the Norris Group did. And it was hard. You know, at the bottom, everyone was so scared, but we're like, people, you are not going to be able to buy three bedroom, two bathroom homes for $30,000 in the Antelope Valley um, forever. This yeah. is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So my job was 
raising millions upon millions of dollars every month as investors were locking down houses for well below replacement cost. <laughs> yeah, right. Not just the house replacement cost, but about developing a lot replacement cost. It was it was insane, and it's been incredibly rewarding now. Uh, talking to the investors that were able to do that. So they were buying a lot of rentals. I started buying rentals. This was my first cycle as a landlord. I was, you know, a poor actor. How did that work out? out? It's been amazing. And so, you know, I've been selling off my dogs. I've decided I just don't like HOAs anymore. Um, Getting rid of my condos that have four X'd in a lot of the markets that I was in and 1031 exchanging into brand new houses in Florida. That's just my strategy. I'm boring, conservative. Um, yeah, that's what I love. I love new houses and turning them into rentals and co-living now. And yeah, uh, yeah. so I wish I would have bought more. I, well, I'm I wouldn't sure say I that you're boring. Like you, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty steady um, way to do business, but you're still in the front of it talking with investors. And now you kind of went into um uh, you're with a different company or you're with, yeah, I'm with property radar. I'm still on disability right now. I'm, I'm on the tail end of, let's see, I had open heart surgery in late April. And then we found out what that, what they took out of my heart was sarcoma, which is a very rare form of cancer. So I'm about to finish up my cancer treatment. As far as chemo goes, I'll finally be done. It's been a little bit of a, a crazy year. But uh, I'll go back to Property Radar, and what I do there is I teach investors, mortgage professionals, realtors, even solar providers nationwide how to get dangerous with data. So for those of you who don't know Sean O'Toole, he's the CEO of, of Once Upon a Time, it was Foreclosure Radar. He, like Dad, saw the writing on the wall in 05 uh, when he was flipping houses. He flipped to somebody that should have never have qualified <laughs> for the loan. Right, right. He's all, uh, there's a problem here. So he created Foreclosure Radar changed the business. I, I, we use that product at the Norris group uh, for trustee sales. It just really changed the game. Once upon a time, you were spending thousands of dollars for one County for the information for trustee sales. And then here it is online updated constantly. He really, he really changed the game for the industry, which is really cool. Um, they went na- nationwide last year. So that's wow. part of why I uh, came on board and they're no longer foreclosure radar, it's property radar. And some people don't even know that they have email addresses and phone numbers for all properties nationwide. So that's it's, a big deal. It's a huge deal. And for the price point, it's, it's so stupid. <laughs> what, really do you, what do you, uh, over there at, uh, what are you guys seeing is the big thing that investors are doing now? I mean, is there, are there like the out-of-state owners still the thing to do on, in regards to buying houses? You know, um, I talk a lot to the media. Everybody wants to talk about a downturn and predict a downturn. And, you know, while the market can soften, none of the things are in place that were there during the last downturn. Like we're making real loans for people who are breathing and qualify. Right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, no, for sure. hundred percent. I haven't seen the funny business that has come out. So, you know, even people who bought in 2020 with 3% down, how much equity are you sitting on? Right. Right. So even if the market were to go down by 10%, guess what? You still have equity and it's called a forced sale. It doesn't have to be a foreclosure or a short sale. It's just, I have to sell and I don't want to. <laughs> Sorry I, was about it. Talk, I was just talking to an appraisal. Uh, I went to do an appraisal today and the appraiser was telling me that uh, about uh, the forbearance deals that are sitting there, kind of like that ghost inventory, that forbearance stuff. And he thought, he asked me like, well, what do you think? Is, is that going to come? Is that going to be like REOs? And I was like, they're worth more now than they were when the guys, the people went into forbearance, right? They went up like what, 20% or something this last 18 months. I already hear banks that are doing a recast of the loan. 
pretending the last year didn't happen. They'd be smart. There's equity there. Why do that and become a political target? You know, as soon as they start doing that and foreclosing on poor little homeowners affected by COVID-19, goodbye. Right. Yeah, no, (laughs) right. hundred percent. Yeah. So they have to like, that's a smart play. They don't want that. And and like you said, like, I like that you touched on the people that are actually in these loans, they qualified, unlike the first time in 2002, three, four, and five, they didn't need to show any bank statements. They didn't need to show any uh, tax returns, nothing, right? It was just here, sign here. We'll give you a $700,000 loan. Your payment's 4,500 a month, interest rate 7%. Right. Done. That's not the case the last 10 years, right? That's Those people had to actually qualify. So they have jobs, they've had tax returns. And uh, yeah, I don't really see that happening. And last time we talked, you mentioned uh, uh, interest rates were going to be the big indicator that for me, I, I'm not an economist. I'm not trained as an economist. I've just been, you know, I, I'm very familiar with the data um, just because I've worked with dad and now with Sean over the years. And uh, yeah, I think this is just going to end up in loss mitigation departments more so than not. And they'll work it out. And I don't think there has to be a big crash. It may be soft landing yeah. if we have a little bit of a downturn, but I don't see anything interest rates if they do go up we already sort of got a taste of that in 2017 how price sensitive people are and that was you know that was almost four years ago do you remember when that happened and everyone was freaking out they're like yep. oh my god we went from 15 days on market to 21 oh my goodness. it's the end of the world oh god <laughs> what are we gonna do <laughs> at least here in california we are so freaking spoiled so yeah. uh i think we've just become accustomed to this crazy market and it's not always going to be like that so you know, last time we talked, I was telling you about a, a project that I'm doing in LA. It's a, um, a fix and flip. And we're adding about a thousand square feet plus an ADU in a pool. And um, I had submitted the plans um, uh, 13, 14 months ago. Interestingly enough, they finally gave me and issued my permits today. Today's my anniversary. And it took 13 and a half months to get the permits for this product. And there's another deal that we're doing a scraping build in, in West Hollywood. That's about 13, 12 and a half months. And I'm probably about a month and out there. So that, that amount of regulation on, um, on permits and stuff is, um, is, is slowing down the amount of properties that can be built, I think in LA. Uh, you think? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, and it's so funny because, you know, I know we'll get to it in a little bit, but you just had Newsom sign 30 something housing bills. And I have a few, few people that are in planning and I also sit on the, the city of Riverside. They have sort of like a housing coalition they've put together on how they're going to accomplish building tens of thousands of affordable units over the next five years. They're just like, there's no way that we are going to able to accommodate this into our ordinance. We're just going to be out of compliance. There's, I don't have the staff. We're already behind. There was no money put in any of these bills to help us hire people to actually get caught up. And I mean, it's to the point where you have some people who have been in the business a long time just saying, sorry, I can't take on any more. Um, I don't know if you've experienced this, even repair people. Yeah. Um, I, I had a, a landscape, a plumber the other day say, sorry, sorry, I don't show up for anything less than $2,000. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like a $200 job. Like, yeah. sorry. I'm remember not... when, they, remember when they were begging for work? <laughs> right. It is nuts out there. And there's just these building times are luckily it's probably 
you're really glad it that took so long because how much has it gone up since you've been sitting on no, that project? Uh, yeah, so so the appraisal is interesting because that when we did the deal, the originally the ARV appraised at 2.75. And now the appraisal we just did maybe about a month or two ago was at 3.55. So oh. sitting on it for the 13 months, right? Which is, you know, there's a payment, don't forget, you know. But you know, there was like an appreciation of like almost five, six hundred thousand dollars. So yeah, I mean it was worth it. You know, I'm not, I'm not mad, but you still have to get out of it. Like none of those are real things until you until sell and that sells. money is in your pocket. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what? But you I, should, you should send a, uh, when you sell it, you should, or maybe before, cause don't, don't, don't you don't want to tell them the profit. You're just this rich guy, but the, wherever it is LA, they, they should at least know, just be like, listen, I, I want to build housing. I want to do more, but I have real costs. And when it's something takes 13 months, that should take, you know, two, Here's the big thing about the SB9 and 10 that I did not like SB9 about. Number one, there's some owner occupancy. And sorry, real quick, SB9 yeah, is one of the, the big bills that Newsom just sent through that basically tries to get rid of single family zoning. Not get rid of it, just saying if there's a lots of zones, single family, under some conditions, you should be able to build a duplex on there regardless of the zoning. Mm -hmm. um, but one of those is that it's owner occupied. So investors immediately out the gate right now, it doesn't apply to us. Interesting in this, unlike the ADU rules, is that the ADU rules very early on, they knew the games that the city was going to play. And the first rendition that they put out in 2017, it says, by right, somebody should build an accessory dwelling unit. You've got 121 days to approve this permit or it's considered approved. Right. Then in the further iterations, it went down to 60. Well, in SB 9 and 10, there are no such constraints. I think they know how ridiculous all these are there's no way for cities to comply and catch up they know that they're behind um i just don't know how we get unstuck yeah so it looks like the adu is the city's big play for more housing agreed and I, I think it should be it makes a lot more sense what i'd like to see is the city be proactive and think about how to convert those that adu because an adu can be up to 1200 square feet um Okay, wow. if we wanted to take advantage of SB9, uh, for instance, and turn that into a duplex, what's the process of that? Um, and the only reason that might be helpful is you might be able to get more comps. One of the hardest things for accessory dwelling units right now is that um, when an appraiser is trying to figure out what it's worth, what they typically go to is an average square foot cost, which doesn't always work in your favor with an ADU because if it's small, you're cramming the most expensive rooms like a kitchen and a bathroom in a small square footage. So right. the square footage, the per square foot cost of an ADU is way higher than what's going to be in a typically in a single family home. So, um, but I agree with you. I think that's what the city's leaning into. Um, so SB9, I don't think is ready for prime time. SB10 right. on the other hand is really about up zoning and getting to build a lot more up to a 10 plex plus two ADUs on a single lot right so i think they're they're just trying to figure out how to do more density so in cities like la wow that could be for those of your audience that likes to scrape and build you need to be paying attention to some of those opportunities within the next year a city should be outlining where those opportunities should be located and i always like to work with cities like uh, i don't want to get stuck in their building department and get in the politics Eek. <laughs> Oh, if God. at all possible painful. it's so painful you know after we talked again after you we did the podcast last time that that night i went to a city hall meeting in regards to the zoning for the uh 35 i think it was sp35 no i don't know whatever it was but it had to do with and they were talking about um 
um, you know, the single family residences and being able to build duplexes on the back. And um, they were creating a zone around downtown. And they were saying, this is the zone that we're willing to do and why they did it that zone. That zone was, uh, I think it was RD something. Um, uh, and that they wanted to keep those that zone as being the place to buy and be able to build the triplexes, duplexes. They even had a 35 foot was the highest that you could do. And, and also they were doing another bill that was gonna say, let's loosen the reins on the regulations for the ADUs. Like right now we have it where it has to be touching the property if, they, if it's off. They had all these little regulations and they're, they're actually thinking about loosening the ADU reins because they don't really wanna deal with this RD zone as much right they they really kind of seem to be wanting to push the adu as now now more than ever it seemed like to me hmm. so it was an interesting little uh meeting i'm i'm glad that i went and i probably went because you were you were not were talking about it so yeah uh, I, I don't think some people understand what a positive influence they can have now it's something that you have to be consistent with some of it's going to be volunteering your hours but when you become a trusted voice in the local communities that you serve i I mean, I had very little experience with redevelopment until um, till the Norris Group. I got handed a project that we took back in 06. It was uh, empty lots that were holding the earth together. Uh, yeah. The investor originally planned to split two lots into five, um, like a small cul-de-sac, went into foreclosure during the downturn, and we've just been holding on to it well. In the 10 years that we were holding on to it, it triggered hundreds of thousands of dollars of redevelopment along the major drag it was on. So they wanted us to put in medians, block walls. I mean, it it was insane. And we had handed it to an engineer who had it for, I think, well over a year, um, who tried to rework it in different ways. There was somebody at the Norris Group who was working on it. I got it. And because of my relationship with some of the people in the city, I'm like, listen, I don't know what to do. We're never going to be able to build this if it really triggers five hundred thousand dollars in development that has nothing to do with the project can you can you help me so the city of riverside had something that they rolled out called the um oh gosh oh i can't name think of the name of it but the goal is putting everybody on one floor that you need to talk to instead of having to walk around the city to all the different departments that you need so they put together a meeting together uh that include um development in the planning department fire utilities and housing and i got to go there and said listen this is the project i don't know what to do this is what's triggered because of you know whatever what do i do and it, within 20 minutes they're like oh yeah just instead of this lot line coming out here where this driveways are coming out on the main street just have it come out on this street and it doesn't trigger any of that i'm like right yeah that's crazy yeah. <laughs> i'm all are you good are you good are you good and they all said yes <laughs> I think we even paid them to make the lot line adjustment because they also wanted some of the back of the lot for a utility egress or something. So I'm like, uh, yeah, you can do it. Glad to do pay it. you for it. We've been working on this for years. And in 20 minutes, you just solved all my problems. And that was all relationship driven. But the other side of that is when you start, now I'm in a position where they have me on this council trying to you know, give them ideas on how to construct all these homes. Now, the state regulation just says you need to fall within these guidelines city it doesn't mean that they can't be more flexible and they may not think of the options or know the options. And I'll give you a great example of that. Under accessory dwelling unit law, you have you can build things under title 24 and t- title 25. So that's stick built 
or manufactured homes. Okay. Um, some people are looking at modular housing, depending on how they're built and how they're attached to the ground, they fall under different code. Now, tiny homes, those are regulated under the Department of Motor Vehicles. Those are DMV. However, some cities are including them in their builder code to count towards ADUs. Oh. So if you show up and start promoting that and say, hey, we could get a lot of these way sooner if we can just put this in the back, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, that really changes the game. That's and it's just smart. because you started coming and supporting and consistently showing up and being a trusted voice. It can't be seen as it needs to be authentic. It can't always be self-serving. Um, you're going to have to do your time. But man, can it be profitable when you know what you're doing? Sure. Being a service. Correct. <clears throat> being of service. Yep. Hey, have you uh, given any thought or have you looked into at all those, um, you know, foreign ADU, like those... <clears throat> Uh, they're not modular homes. They're uh, um, the, the ones that they're doing over in Palm Springs, like that the, whole truck. Oh yeah, of, the th the 3D printed ones. Yeah, would you have you looked into that? Oh already? yeah, I've been. We almost got to buy. It's funny you say that. We almost got to buy one of them from that company. Plant Prefab is the oh. company, and uh, yeah, they actually. Did you know they manufacture right out of here in Fontana in the I Indian didn't Empire? Know that. Yeah, they have a major manufacturing plant, and um, we've interviewed the CEO before. They're doing some very cool things or is that oh sorry there's plant prefab but the ones you might be talking about i is that a mighty buildings project you know what it was a big project though it was yeah it was a big, it's a it's a whole it's a whole neighborhood and whole neighborhood yeah and it includes adus i just forget if it, it might be mighty buildings doing that one that's the one where we almost bought one of their 3d manufactured but this particular project they're 3d printing the the walls so it's a different product for them but there are some very so what, exciting when you look, things. When you looked into it, is it a profitable thing for an investor to like, mm. instead of like building an ADU, is it profitable to maybe buy it prefabbed or buy it this way and have it put there? Or <sighs> I haven't priced it out yet. And, and I would say a year ago, if you and I and had chatted, I'd say absolutely not. Yeah. So I know the plant prefab 600 square foot model a year ago was going for 150 grand. And I knew investors building ADUs in the Inland Empire for far less than that. They were right. converting garages and whatnot. In some cases and in some markets, yeah, considering the supply chain disruption and trying to find skilled labor to do the work, mm, I think we're going to see a big. I think we're going to see a big shift over the next decade or two into prefab manufacturing, where they basically build everything in a plant. It hits all the California, you know, keywords. It's green. There's less waste. Uh, it just shows up on site. So you don't have things vandalized or stolen. It's, it goes up in a day. It's like wall packed. It Man, gets shipped beautiful. on a truck and you put yeah. it up. So whether yeah. it's finished like a modular unit that's picked up off a truck and it's basically good to go or something that's foldable, like boxable um, accessory dwellings, if you've never seen those, or, you know, just a wall pack where they're just basically setting up the walls like you've seen in commercial. There's a lot right. of different ways to slice and dice. And then you have companies like Icon that actually have a, a, a machine that comes and prints it with their own substrate on the lot. That's crazy. Yeah. So you have a lot of different ways to slice and dice this. I think it's how we're going to have to go. And you know who I've been looking at and a little disappointed that they haven't gotten more hardcore into it is um, Clayton Homes and who owns them? Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. So uh, they're one of the biggest mobile home manufacturers. And I think, I think the stick built world is going to have to lean on our brothers and sisters in the manufactured home space to get it right. Oh man, that's a really good point. Yeah. They're already there, right? Or they'll yeah, be close. Yeah, they've been doing it for years. So it's just sort of getting that up and running for the 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 regular house building. And believe me, there's so much. I'm that weird guy at night, like reading international news and all this stuff going on <laughs> with China right now. 
you know, and because I build houses in Florida. So I was talking to our builder this week. I'm like, how exposed are we to China? You know, uh, we really need to start thinking about all these different things. There's not only 60 ships stuck in the port now, but China's losing power because they've messed around with politics and coal. And like, how is this going to impact us? Right. Um, I'm that nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it's going to get, it's going to stay the same or worse until next year. And I just hope it gets fixed next year, but it's been hard. It's been a weird year. Yeah, it has been weird. But you know, I'll tell you, I think I think that 3D thing, um, it might be a really good spot to start off just doing these ADUs because there's such a demand mm -hmm. for ADUs. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody came out with just a, here's a simple ADU, ready to go, it's going to pass your permit process really quickly, slap it in the back of your yard, and, and, and you're going to add this value to the house. I think investors will jump all over it. Oh, yeah. And if you haven't seen it, check out Icon. I think Icon is sort of one of my favorite companies to watch. And I think they were one of the first to actually build like uh, mighty buildings just came out and I, I'm pretty sure they're the one building that project in uh, Rancho Mirage is where mm -hmm. it's at. Yeah. Right. Um, they, they build a different 3d ADU where it's, they build the shell and it's got a lot of glass and they ship it. It's done. Uh, like from the bathroom, like everything's finished it's amazing. where a company like icon, they're bringing the, you know, the machine in and they're dumping their goop in 24 hours and printing the main structure, but it still has finished work to do and whatnot. Um, but they are, they do have some projects. I think Austin, they have one. Um, I, I haven't followed up recently to see what other things are doing here in the United States, but you know, builder code changes in every state. So that's another thing I'm fascinated about. California, California is like the construction New York, you know, the saying, if you, you can make it anywhere, if you make it here, you can make it anywhere in New right, York. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> in housing, that's got to be true in California. If you can get past the building code here, you can go anywhere. <laughs> but yeah, no kidding. I was, uh, you know, you brought up another point I want to get back to is the, uh, the amount of construction that's going on in California right now. There's no, there's, there's no workers. And the ones that there are, that there are to do the building, um, they want a lot of money and mm -hmm. they're, they're back ordered out, right? Good for them. But um, I wonder what type of skilled labor it takes to put these ADUs in the back. Is it just literally bring it, put it in the backyard, you think, or do you think, is there going to still take a construction contractor to assemble? No. No, not for some of these. There's there's really no assembly required. The wow. the one the one from Mighting Building is a complete unit. And actually there was a really great since you and I talked, there's actually a great video that somebody did on Mighting Buildings that toured their factory and showed what they did. They really approach house uh, ADU building or house building very much like the cruise ship industry and the and the ship industry. Yeah. It was funny when I worked on the cruise ship um I watched a video of it being built probably every day. It's like Groundhog's Day, but they build a lot of stuff off site and they basically plug it in. So your, your state rooms are not built on site. They're built off site and then plugged in. Wow. And, and Mighty Buildings does the same thing when it comes to bathrooms. They hire somebody that their whole thing, they know what they're doing. They can build it and slide it into the unit. And that means both things are going on at the same time. And they've got experts doing the things that they're best at and they just wow. plug and play. So it, it depends on the manufacturer, but no, it can be shipped and I done. I think that's going to be something pretty, pretty interesting. You know what I mean? That's going to be, a, especially because a lot of the cost of <clears throat> building is the labor cost. Uh, right. Yeah. And, and that's going to be going up. I promise you. Yeah, that's definitely going up. hundred <laughs> percent. This, up. this year, what's funny, we've, we've had two instances in Florida where all the trades, different companies got together and said, we're not showing up on your site unless this happens. Ouch. And you've got major public builders who's like, well, we're, we're so-and-so, so go screw yourself. 
um, and they eventually had to coalesce because they didn't realize <laughs> that all the trades had got together and basically formed their own little mini union Oops. to get the increase. Yeah, and it's and it's brutal. They do it on the day that they're supposed to show up to your job and you're like, you're sort of stuck. So uh, you either pay the increase or you... Yeah, I'll pay, I'll pay, I'll pay. Yeah, yeah, so that's what you have to end up doing and creating, negotiating something new. So that's happened twice to us in the last three months. Wow. And it, and it had to do with wages both times. Yeah, that's going to go up. You're right, you're 100% right. And, you know, there's a... There's a lot of people building this. All the homeowners, right? All the homeowners in the last 12 months or 15 months, whatever it is, <clears throat> new carpet. They want to do a new room. They want to do an ADU. They want to put in a pool. They want to do a new kitchen, new bathrooms. So, you know, they're making a good, they're making a good living right now and good for them. You know what I mean? Um, so I think this ADU thing, this prefab thing might be something to really look into in the mm -hmm. future. And one of the things to watch out for in the news, the news media loves to pick up bad news. So, you know, I keep getting asked about foreclosures. Yes, there's going to be some, but the first wave or the ones that should have happened early in 2020 uh, had nothing to do with COVID. They should have gone through just fine. Um, I think the banks are going to do what they need to do. So don't read too much into the headlines that we're into some crazy foreclosure crisis, not buying it. Um, the other thing is affordability and inflation. So we learned the last government data that came out, we learned that the people who can't afford to live in California are moving to more affordable states. Well, when you get rid of some of the socioeconomically um, lower end of the rung, that affects your wage numbers and your average um, uh, wage, which goes into the affordability numbers um, as people make more money. So, you know, things are going to change. And with people making more money, um, that may set offset inflation a little bit. I'm no expert in this, but it's it's some of the things I'm watching. I think, hey, listen, I drove by Baker's, one of my favorite fast food spots in Southern California. Love it. And they're they're talking about, you know, a $16 minimum wage with health benefits. I'm all for, <laughs> wait a second, for fast food, this could be a career. Come on, I got a, I got a 20 year old kid that needs a job. He, well, I don't think he wants it, but yeah, he needs it. <laughs> right. So yeah. And every single low end job that, you know, I look in the window and there's a, a help wanted sign and they're having to pay more substitute teachers in San Bernardino County. Once upon a time made a hundred dollars a day, you know what they've had to do because wow. they can't get anybody. It's over $300 a day right now. Wow. So it's going to be very interesting. It's, it's going to, it really is right. Yeah. yeah the, the, you know, I was telling my kid, you know, back in the day, a long time ago when I was his age, um, you, you know, it was hard to get a job. It mm -hmm. was difficult. And now it's like, people are like, if he can throw a stick and five people will hire him for like 18 bucks an hour. And, um, <laughs> You know, but he, he hasn't taken any of them, by the way. Uh, <laughs> he's yeah. like, I got it pretty good now, dad. I don't know why you Girl, I get to pay video games and you pay all the bills. Like, why would I disrupt this utopia? I don't know if you've noticed or not, dad, but this is working out pretty well for me. <laughs> Touche. And, uh, and uh, so, um, yeah, but you know, the, the economy seems like it's going to be okay. I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but, you know, speaking of other states. Um, so <clears throat> my partner and I, we bought some more properties out there in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. But one, we bought a big one, and um, we just took two two more under contract. And um, Tennessee is um, the people are wonderful. Um, the cities are like, yeah, come on board. But what I noticed was that um, what I was telling you last time is that the majority of the people selling are trying to sell to Californians. Oh, because they know we don't care. We're like, that's so cheap. 
they're like, you guys are crazy. You'll just buy anything, right? So that's you know, $700,000 for this house. That's a deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we'll just pay it. A million? Sure, we'll take it. And so their prices are going up, which uh, I was telling you last time also is that it seemed like the um, this is not really a bubble because it's spreading out from California all across mm -hmm. the nation. People are migrating, right? People are leaving California. Some are coming in, obviously, but a lot of the people are leaving and it's spreading out. I think it's a healthy, a healthy yeah. thing. They were calling this a great migration. And I think what the Delta variant did for this year is made it sticky. I think people are reevaluating life in general. I think we've gotten very spoiled uh, uh, remote work. Um, it doesn't work for all kinds of businesses, but I think there is a sense that this is sticky and people are really choosing to be close to family and what's important. Um, so I think early on, there's like, oh, is this going to stick? People are going to leave California and miss the weather and the beaches. I'm like, okay, well, there's politics and smog. Like some people... I don't know. They want different things. They want the tax breaks. They're cashing in on California and moving to a state that can actually afford to go out to eat every night. Exactly. And yeah. So people are really looking at lifestyle and other state. There are other great states. Tennessee, there are some, right. Nashville. I got to rehearse in Nashville for a couple of weeks while I was on the cruise ship. I I'd love. I would live in Nashville in a hot minute. Those people are awesome, man. I liked yeah. them all. They were all super cool, and uh, we're doing some building. The cities are all like really. Um, helpful and getting the, the permit process through. And uh, yeah, you know, it's like a little bit different with the humidity, you know, and uh, foundations and stuff. You, you work yourself mm. around that, but humidity does nothing for my hair. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, ball joke. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, this is a, this is a crazy thing going on. So do you want to go on the record and give us a, a, a view of what you see the next 12 months looking like? I think we're going to see wage increases. Um, I'm, I'm most concerned about interest rates getting hiked up and impacting just inserting fear in the market. And I think fear can come in a, a lot of different buckets. Politically, I'm just, I'm so disappointed. I really thought I was in New York during 9-11 and it changed my life in a lot of different ways. There was a lot of beauty and disaster. I thought COVID-19 was going to be this generation's 9-11. And I've just been so disappointed on both sides of the aisle, how political this is getting right. and how toxic it's just, it makes me so sad. So there's a lot of frustration and fear in the market. And I just, I don't know how to remedy that. So I'm just hoping it doesn't spill over into <laughs> real estate and finance and we'll see, but I don't, I, I think prices, the acceleration of prices may slow down in some markets like California, especially the coastal regions. Um, but I'm not expecting a crash. I think investors should focus on deals that make sense. Don't get spoiled thinking that, you know, holding out for a year is going to make you a mint. Um, make sure the numbers work going in. Just be a tiny bit conservative. That's all. That's some good advice from Aaron Norris of the Norris Group and Property Radar. And uh, Nor hey, listen, thanks again for redoing this. You're a <laughs> That's my wonderful pleasure. guy. Thank you so very much. You're and uh, we will be talking to you soon. Thank you, Hope Aaron. So. All right. Thanks, Joe. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.